Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Well, what's your initial reaction to getting busted? I've been busted speeding twice now. Uh, the first time was in an industrial zone in the town, hometown where I grew up in, and I immediately came up with an excuse. But I thought speed zones in industrial zones were different to residential zones. Uh, the second time was country New South Wales, out near Walgett. And again, immediately, I just have this excuse. But, but sir, uh, the roads were just wide open. There was no one around. I, I thought it would be okay. It's amazing how quick we come up with excuses for our misbehaviour. It starts young, doesn't it? We we get these lame excuses. The dog ate my homework. I forgot. And the classic, I don't know. And then we get more sophisticated as we get older. Uh, Sorry I'm late, but I didn't know there'd be so much traffic. Even though the traffic's always the same in that same spot every day. Sorry I snapped at you. I'm really stressed. Here is a confronting truth. We make excuses for our bad behavior. And when we're busted, we expect mercy. We make excuses and we expect mercy. God is going to speak into that today. And not at the low level of homework and traffic infringements at the level of eternity, heaven and hell. We are in a section of Romans where God, we're told that God reveals his wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. We, we heard that from Romans chapter 1 verse 18 last week. And it begins a long section of Romans where God is spelling out, we all deserve his wrath. Uh, Romans 1, 18, right through to chapter 3, verse 20, it's confronting, it's humbling, it's sobering. Romans 1, 18 through to 3, 20 was written to show us the futility of, of trying to justify ourselves before God. Now, God's purpose is not to rub our nose in our sin. God's purpose is to show us our desperate need of Jesus Christ. We have a desperate need, and only Jesus can meet that need. Today, we're going to hear our desperate need again. God is going to tell us, no excuse. You have no excuse. God will also tell us that our problem is much bigger than we realize. But while we are out of excuses, God can excuse us. And brother, sister, there is a freedom that comes when we stop trying to justify ourselves and receive the justification that comes from God. 
And so here's how today's sermon is going to roll out. First of all, I'm going to give us another Romans refresh. We need to set today's passage in its context of Romans. And then we're going to see that we have no excuse before God. Then we're going to look at Judgment Day. And then we're going to finish with the freedom of justification. And so our four headings are Romans refresh, you have no excuse, Judgment Day, And then finally, the freedom of justification. And so firstly, the Romans refresh. Uh, Remember, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the mid to late 50s. That's not 1950s, that's 50s. Uh, It was written in the mid to late 50s. So roughly 20 years after the death, resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans was written to Christians to the church at Rome. Now, now the church at Rome was probably started by average mum and dad Jews that were converted back in Jerusalem on Pentecost, go back home to Rome, start sharing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and before you know it, God's saving people. And so the Roman church quickly is filled with Jewish Christians and Greek, Gentile Christians. And then there was that period of time when the Roman Emperor Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome. And so the church in Rome went from being led and started by Jewish Christians to all of a sudden having to be led and filled by Greek Christians. But then Claudius died, and the Jews were able to come back into the Roman church. And Romans is written into that setting written to Jewish Christians that would have maintained a rules-based faith. They would have held on to their Old Testament rules of food laws, of Sabbath-keeping, of circumcision. And it was also written to Greek Christians that had no experience whatsoever with those Old Testament rules. Their temptation was to think, well, God doesn't care about our behaviour. The temptation for the Jewish Christians was to begin with faith in Jesus, but then think they have to add to that faith with their food laws, with their Sabbath keeping, with their circumcision, if they're going to maintain faith. Now, the temptation for the Greek Christian was to presume on God's mercy. Hey, I've been saved. I've been justified by faith through Jesus. God doesn't care about how I behave. Legalism on the Jewish side, loose living on the Greek side. Paul writes a long letter to make clear that the gospel of Jesus dismantles both legalism and loose living. There's our Romans refresh. There's the context of where this letter was originally written. And and so now we're into the heading, you have no excuse. Uh, Last week, we worked through Romans 1, 18 to the end of uh, chapter 1, verse 32. And we were reminded that God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. We're reminded that uh, the essence of sin is exchanging the glory of God. We're supposed to glory in God and instead we glory in lesser glories in the things that God has made. We suppress the truth about God. We don't honour God. Instead of worshipping the Creator, 
We worship creation. There is the essence of sin according to Romans chapter 1. And there is no greater sin than suppressing the truth about our maker. He is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Now, someone, at least one of you last week, because you've asked the, you texted the question in. By the way, you can text questions in about the sermon to that phone number there. And one of you last week did say, um, who are the they in chapter 1? Well done. You picked up the third person plural pronoun. Don't you love that? It's used quite often. Uh, the third person plural pronoun from Romans 1, 18 to verse 32. They. Uh, it keeps getting used. Um, their unrighteousness known to them, shown to them. They are without excuse. They knew God, but they did not honor God over and over and over again. Why have I pointed that out? Well, look at the very first verse for our passage this week. Romans 2 verse 1. Got your Bible open? Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. And it would be suitable to put O person. Therefore, you, singular, you, O person, have no excuse. A dramatic shift in pronoun from the third person plural, they, to the first person singular, you. You have no excuse. There's a lot of debate, a bit of debate about who the they are of chapter 1 and who this you is of uh, chapter 2. Uh, a lot of people want to say that the, the they of chapter 1 is directed to the Greek. They, they didn't have the Old Testament. They could only rely on God's knowledge of God through creation. And the you of chapter 2 is the Jew. There's now attention being drawn to the you. And there is a Jew-Gentile, Jew-Greek distinction in Romans, isn't there? You know, like our favourite verse. Not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is a Jew-Gentile, Jew-Greek distinction in Romans. I'm not fully convinced, though, that it's only the Greeks that have been addressed in chapter 1 and only the Jew that's been addressed in chapter 2, verse 1. Because what we do know is that all of us suppress the truth about God. All of us exchange the glory of God for lesser glories. We know that all of us are without excuse. And here's what I think would be easy to imagine as this letter is first being read out in the Roman church. When Paul was listing all those sins from last week, it would be easy to imagine the Jews going, yeah, you Greeks, are you listening? You don't have the law like we do. And then all of a sudden, it shifts. Now for you, who are pointing the finger at them, you have no excuse. Let's see what he has to say to the you. Therefore, Romans 2 verse 1, 
You have no excuse, O person, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O person, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We all do it all the time. Our lies, well, they're little lies, aren't they? But when somebody else lies, we want the Supreme Court to be called in. We excuse our sin. We expect mercy when we're caught out but we demand justice when we are wronged. We expect forgiveness for our own wrongdoing, but we demand justice when we are wronged. We're quick to point the finger, but slow to acknowledge our own sin. Did your mum and dad ever tell you when you point the finger at somebody else, there's three fingers pointing back at you? Isn't that what God's saying here? We do not fool God for a second. Now listen, God is patient. He is kind. He is full of grace and mercy and love, but he's no fool. God is not a sucker. God sees all, he knows all, he judges all. And verse, 14, uh, verse, four, verse 4 points out the stupidity of presuming on the kindness of God. Yes, God is patient. Uh, of course God is patient. He's good. But don't presume on God's patience. Don't be stupid with God's patience. Don't imagine you're in some special category that allows you to get away with your ungodliness and unrighteousness. What is God's kindness supposed to do? What does verse 4 say? God's kindness is supposed to lead you to repentance. Repent. Don't store up wrath for the day of wrath. That's Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. You have no excuse. Don't point the finger at others. You sin as well. Don't presume on God's kindness. Repent. And now that God has our attention, he really ramps it up. And so we're moving to our next heading, Judgment Day. There will be a day where God gives to each person either eternal life or wrath and fury. 
There will be a day when God gives to each person either eternal life or wrath and fury. Now, before we actually read these verses out, I want us to feel the weight of that. This is a rhetorical question. Don't call out an answer, but think about this. How long is eternity? That does your head in, doesn't it? Like, it's forever. Eternity, like, it's forever. That's mind-numbing. Like, why am I asking you to think how long is eternity? Well, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to grab hold of your own lifespan and put it on the eternity timeline. Now, be generous. Give yourself 80, 90, 100 years. Can you start to see how even a hundred years doesn't appear on the eternity time? It's like it's such a little flick. The Bible describes it as your life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. And okay, that, that's that, that's really hard to wrap our heads around. That that's complicated. So I want you to imagine. In one day's time, you are either going to win $1 billion or you are going to be sent to the most evil prison on the planet. One day's time. That clarifies a whole lot, doesn't it? You you want to find out, okay, on what basis am I going to be given this or judged for that. Very clarifying, very urgent. And once you find that out, you're going to do everything you can to get the billion dollars and not get the horror. Surely, brothers and sisters, that is the urgency, that is the intensity. We are supposed to listen to these verses about Judgment Day. And so let's read Romans 2 verse 6. He, that is God, will render to each one according to his or her works to those who by patience and will doing seek for glory and honour and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. This is serious. There is nothing more serious than judgment day. On that day, God will render to each of us based on our works. On that day, God will declare he will give his impartial verdict on everybody. Justified 
unjustified. Eternal life, wrath and fury, tribulation and distress, glory and honour and peace. Jesus does the same thing, doesn't he? The parable of sheep and goats, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says that when he returns, he's lining everyone up on one of two sides and, and on his left there'll be people and he's calling them the goats and on his right there'll be people and he's calling them his sheep and Jesus says, and I'm going to take my sheep into my kingdom and I'm going to send the goats to eternal fire. This is serious. Eternally more serious than a billion dollars or the most horrible prison on earth. And so what we do with verse 6 is of critical importance. Verse 6 reads, God will render to each one according to his or her own works. Let me show you why verse 6 does not mean God expects us to earn our salvation by doing good work. Go to Romans 4 verse 1 with me. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? And so Paul takes his original hearers all the way back, centuries back, to Father Abraham the one that God chose out of all the people in the planet. God exclusively chose Abraham, not Abraham's neighbor. He chose Abraham. There was nothing about Abraham that was good. He came from a pagan family in a pagan nation. God chose this Abraham. For if Abraham was justified by works, if Abraham was made good with God by what he did, he has something to boast about, but but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Can't wait to get here. Justification by faith, righteousness by faith. We're right with God by believing God. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Look, we we know... We know that the Bible clearly says we cannot earn our salvation. We cannot work for our salvation. For our salvation, we are justified before God by faith alone. We know that's what the Bible says. The good news of Jesus Christ, God's righteous gospel, his good news, is that sinners like you and me are justified on judgment day because of our faith in Jesus Christ. The good news of God is the great exchange. Our sin is put on Jesus and Jesus dies for it and his righteousness is put on us. We're clothed in his righteousness. That's not something we earn. We receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. Is that the gospel? Amen. Now, I probably didn't have to take you to Romans 4 verse 1 to prove that Romans 2 verse 6 is not about our works earning salvation. We would have already known it. 
wouldn't we? I mean, Romans 1.18. God's, God's wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. We are all without excuse because we are all ungodly and unrighteous. We all suppress the truth about God. We, we already know this. So we know that Romans 2 verse 6 cannot be saying we work for justification on the last day. It would go against the flow of Romans. It would go against the flow of the gospel. And so what does Romans chapter 2 verse 6 mean? He will render to each one according to his or her works. Well, there is a judgment day. And on that day, God will render on the basis of our works either eternal life or wrath and fury. Not as a wage, but as evidence. Our works as Christians are evidence of what God has already done through us by Christ, through faith in Christ. Brother, sister, our works can never save us. Our works don't even keep our salvation. But that doesn't mean our works don't matter. Our deeds matter. They're fruit out of the gospel by which we've been saved. They are works. They are deeds that are important. Legalism is keeping God's law in order to earn salvation. And legalism makes a mockery of the cross. Huh. Jesus didn't have to die. Look at me. I'm fixing myself up now. Loose living makes a mockery of the cross. Oh, Jesus, you do all the heavy lifting and I'll just keep doing whatever I want to do. The issue of legalism versus loose living was a live issue in the first century church and it's in every church since. Yes, you are saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. But the faith that saves you is never alone. Our faith produces good works and love and holiness. And there's a whole lot we could say there, isn't there? I can actually think of 10 sermons right now that I'm keen to start. But I want to finish with some very practical personal application. And it's captured by our last heading, the freedom of justification. The freedom of biblical justification, the, the freedom of the justification of the gospel, the, the freedom of the justification of God's righteous gospel. And so we need to just refresh us of the central message of Romans. It's there in Romans 1, 16 and 17. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For in it, in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, by nature, you and I are unrighteous. By nature, on judgment day, you and I deserve wrath and fury. 
Otherwise, God would not be righteous. But God promises that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is justified. Through faith in Jesus, we receive not just forgiveness for our sins, but we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is the gospel. Brother, sister, picture judgment day. Because you put your faith in Jesus Christ, not in your works, on judgment day, God is going to embrace you. He is going to say, well done. He is going to bring you into glory and peace and honour forever and ever. That was a little amen. Is that good news? This is the gospel. Justified right now through faith in Jesus Christ. That is your justification for judgment. We're in. Glory, peace, honour forever. That is good news. And it is not just good news for Judgment Day. It is good news today. Right now. Through your faith in Jesus Christ. Not in your works, in Jesus. You're justified. God says you're justified. He sees you as righteous. This is this is. This is freedom, like no other freedom. Justification by faith in Jesus is freedom like no other freedom. Stop making excuses for your sin. Do what God tells you to do. Repent. Stop hiding your sin. Bring it into the light and receive the forgiveness of your Father. Stop judging other people. Do you know how much life that takes out of us? Just looking down on other people and judging them and looking at them and getting all worked up about them. Like it's just exhausting, isn't it? There is a freedom in knowing we're not any better than them. And stop letting other people judge you. You have been justified by the Lord God Almighty through faith in Jesus Christ. There is a freedom like no other freedom in justification. <laughs> this is the good news of the gospel. It is not just good news for judgment day. It is good news for today. God's righteous gospel. Let me pray. Oh, Father, would you make our hearts believe that you've done it all. You've done it all. You are the righteous God who is impartial. You do not judge on nationality or race or anything. You've sent your son to die for us. So we pray, I pray, 
for all of us right now, would we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your glory and our joy. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.